0: The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose places of honor, Jesus told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited you Both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, the gospel of the Lord. I invite the congregation to be seated. I wanted to to lift up just a a, a couple of things that that we've had in the service that speak really clearly to me today. Um, One of them is in our opening hymn, as it's talking about, let's see, Peter tells of his denying Christ was ever in his sight. Paul relates his fruitless efforts to obliterate the light. And then in the next verse of that it begins their sad stories are repeated in a thousand different ways but they share one thing in common they all end in thanks and praise for the host who is invited north and south and east and west to converge around this table this table where all life is fed and blessed and then something from our second lesson in hebrews the first is let mutual love continue which is the first place the, the very first opening lines of this text. And then at the end, do not neglect to do what is good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And then another thought. Paul often opens his letters and says in other places something along the lines of grace and peace be to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. As I, as I read these texts this week, it speaks to me about on the one hand, what the values of, our, of, of what it means to be a child of God really are. What are God's values? Let mutual, love be gen, be, you know, let mutual love be genuine between you. And we remember Jesus' commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, but hard to do. We also think of other values in our community. We, we think of how we worship, we begin our worship every week with the order of confession and forgiveness. And in that order of confession and forgiveness, we begin, we confess we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves, sinned against you in thought, word and deed, by what we've done and by what we've left undone and so on and so on. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors to, as ourselves. And I wanted to take just a second and reflect on this word captive because I think it means something important And a lot of times when we look at the word, we miss what it really brings us to a sense of. One is that it has its root in the Greek word doulos, which literally means slave. And so if you were going to read that literally, we confess that we are enslaved to sin and cannot free ourselves. In the sacred LBW, you know, it was we confess we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. And while captive is a, a fairly good translation of it, here's my quibble. There are lots of ways someone can be taken captive. You know, someone can be taken captive against their will and kidnapped. They can can be arrested whether they cooperate or not. Or, you know, there are a lot of movie plots where somebody goes to be a captive willingly and they choose that captivity. But that's the reason that I'm not positive I like this word there. I don't like this word there because what this confession says to us is there is something inside of us. Something that is real about us. Something that is seated within the human condition, within our character. Something that stems from the very earliest sins that were ever committed. And we look at the sin of Adam and Eve and call it original sin. And somehow through that sin, that choosing of their own desires, their own curiosity, their own will, their own wants, above the instruction of God, do not eat the fruit. For on that day that you eat of it, you will die. Somehow through that, at least in terms of the way we typically term our theology, that's where sin entered into the world. I've always thought that story makes a lot more sense if more than being a way that sin enters into the world, if it's instead somehow simply a revelation of what humanity is. Humanity, on the one hand, craves relationship to God, craves what it feels like to be faithful and welcome and wanted, craves to be known, craves to be understood, and yet, We also crave a relationship with those who are equal to us, so we have some autonomy. It's part of why in Genesis chapter 2, God said it's not good for the man to be alone, because literally the only thing in the universe God cannot do is enjoy a relationship of equals with that which God is creating. And so what we see in this original maybe revelation of human nature, if you'll accept my shift for just a moment, is that... One, part of why we want our own way is because we're created in the image of God, and God is the creator, and we want to make things for ourselves in the image in the same way our creator makes things in us. Also, we see an occurrence of peer pressure. Come on, Eve, what does God know? Come on, Adam, you want to eat it with me, don't you? And we see just how easy it is. For us to fall in with people around us who can influence us, whether we know better or not. And the other thing that we see is a real propensity to hide from the things that we've done. The desire to, to instead of finding ways to enter into reconciling relationships, instead when when we hear God walking through the garden we hide behind the bushes and when we stand up we cover ourselves because we know what we should not, we are naked. And, and that's the interesting thing about this particular piece of that scene. Adam and Eve knew that they had done something that they shouldn't have done, and they were experiencing something new in that, guilt. And They were experiencing shame. And they were experiencing the sense of being caught. And, and I look at this from the, from the standpoint of a story, and I see something that I find to be really interesting, is that God's not walking through the garden looking for them because they've done something. God is simply walking through the garden and says, at least in the story, I wonder where they are. Why are you hiding? It it doesn't matter sometimes how somebody says things. It it doesn't matter what somebody intends sometimes. It it really doesn't matter whether we intend to say something kindly or we tend to be sarcastic. I am really convinced, and I include myself in this, that about 90% of our interactions with other people have a lot more to do with what's going inside of them than it does in the interaction between us. Because some days you're angry. Some days you're in physical or emotional pain. Some days you're in a position where you're feeling that shame or that anxiety or whatever those negative emotions are. And not I've never done this. Lauren is very lucky to be married to me. But imagine a, a world where some people do this, you know, because you're hurting or you're upset, all of a sudden your fuse is short and something that somebody says that is well-meant and neutral and and really a relatively small thing gets the biggest reaction. What are you doing? Why did you throw away the Tupperware? That's beside the point, you know. There might have been a Tupperware fight in our past. But in that imaginary Tupperware fight, an imaginary person may have taken some Tupperware back to the store because they recognized we weren't gonna use it and we were newlyweds and we needed some money. And another person in that marriage who had probably only used Tupperware three times before in his life got upset because he didn't know where to look for it. Was it really about the Tupperware? Maybe. But also think about what happens in new relationships when we're newly married or when, when we're changing as children and we realize in our own household that the way we're growing and changing is becoming incompatible with living with our parents. You know, when we see some of this in churches too, Where we see the the traditions that have been standing for years and years. We see the people who have served for a long time on committees. We see people who have throughout their lives been the steadfast bulwarks of the church. And we want new people to come in. And then new people come in and they bring new things. And what do we do with it? And the reason sometimes we come into some conflict with each other. Between the old ways and the new ways is not because new ways are better and old ways are worse. It's simply that the old ways are what we've done and as every creature has to do, as every living thing has to do, as every culture or society or group of people has to do, we have to figure out how we can adapt to the new. Or we wither on the vine because the new never comes back. the reason I, I think about this today is because over the last several weeks, one of the, the themes I've seen in the gospel text are these themes of reconciliation, these themes of conflict, these themes of people doing something to another person, or Jesus doing something like healing someone on the Sabbath. And I, I say this from the perspective of someone who, yes, I got here during COVID in December 2020. Yes. We haven't been doing the normal thing most of the time I've been here. And yes, it has been a crazy, crazy time. And I've been here a year and a half and so I've observed things from time to time. One of the things that I observe is that when we have conflict that goes on between people in this community, we tend to sweep it under the rug. We don't tend to talk about it. And and that's okay so far as it goes in the moment because it makes the moment much more comfortable. If we just pretend that nothing's happened and we just move on, we pretend our feelings aren't hurt. Or we pretend we're, we're not embarrassed because we said something that we either meant or didn't mean to say. But when we let things lie, when we don't deal with things in the moment, when we leave the things that need to be said unsaid, a few things happen. One is... If we're, for instance, at a, at a church event or a meeting or someplace, in the same way as if we're in our family, sometimes people say things to each other that are sharp and aren't particularly nice because we are human beings, and that's just how human beings do. That doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means we're human. And a lot of times there are witnesses to people saying these mean or nasty things. But how often, and I think of myself here, do I stop people in the middle? Something and say, you know, that's really not part of our value here because our values as the children of God are to speak lovingly to each other. Our values as the children of God are to be kind with each other and have patience with each other. Our values as the children of God are to figure out how, when we say something that maybe we could have said differently, softer or not at all, do we learn? to stand in the courage of our own convictions that we confess every week, sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, not loved you with our whole heart, not loved our neighbors as ourselves. It's hard because a lot of times when I realize I've done something, I'm a little too embarrassed to admit it. And sometimes, I know this can be hard to imagine, I double down because I'm so embarrassed about it. And, And sometimes when I hear somebody else say that, I don't say anything because I'm afraid of what'll happen if I say it. I'm not, I'm not so much afraid of what if they say something mean to me, I, I've, you know, I, I'm well insulated so I can take most hits. But I do worry though, what if I say something and it hurts their feelings or it embarrasses them or, or what if somehow it makes things worse? But you know what happens when we observe this and we don't say anything? It means that the person who is hurt is left to carry the weight that the person who hurt them gave them. It means that the person who is wounded is left to tend to their own wounds because we're afraid of hurting the person who was doing the hurting. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. This isn't a scolding sermon, it's a reminding sermon of who we are. We are the people of God who are called to a different way in this world. Not the way of trying to get even. Not the way of trying to hold grudges. Not the way of not being accountable for what we say and do. And not the way of just letting things lie. Because when we let hurt lie, when we let woundedness lie, when we let disappointment lie, when we leave that question, is this a safe place for me? When we feel like we've heard something that was was hurtful. If we let that lie, but then something grows in its place other than the health we're looking for and the health that we're capable in this congregation. And even though we might not have chosen it as an act of choosing, if that's what we leave lie, then what grows in its place is not accidental. It's intentional because we've chosen it. So what does all this mean? Like, preacher, are you saying that when someone says something that sounds mean, we need to say, you stop that right now. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. Because that's not very kind. It may be moving in sort of a right direction, but the other other piece of this is that when we do this and stand and confront and stand in the uncomfortableness of the situation, what we are doing is rehumanizing everyone in the room. And what I mean by this is this that when someone says something to us that hurts us, when some, someone says something that embarrasses us, when someone says something that disappoints us because it was rude, what happens is we feel a little bit less. We, we feel a little lower. We feel like we've been told to go from the seat where we were to the seat at the end of the table because if they are gonna to talk to us like that, nobody's gonna stand up for me. What am I worth? You know, at the end of the day, some of this is about the same thing that it is for everyone else. You know, is this a safe place for our families? What is it that we teach our children about relationship? What relationship means? That's half of the rehumanizing is recognizing that those who are hurt are the ones who are hurt. But here's the other thing, and this our culture does very poorly, is when someone says something, our culture says, well, obviously, they're not worth anything. Obviously, they're bad people. Obviously, they're people who, who need, to be go, who need to go away and be separated from society, but in the church, that's not who we are. Because remember, this is about rehumanizing people, and when we say something that hurts other people or do something that hurts other people, then what we do is we move ourselves farther down the table, too. Because most of the time, if I'm saying something that's mean, or if I'm saying something that's nasty, or I say something that hurts somebody, it's because something in me is hurting, too. It has a lot less to do with them than it does with me. And that means when someone points it out, it hurts more because I'm already hurting. And when we deal with things that are hard to deal with, with compassion. And we imagine to ourselves, before we speak, well, what's this person going through that might have caused them to respond this way? You know, a lot of times, especially in older groups, there's a lot of physical pain going around. And physical pain can make people grouchy. You know, a lot of times in younger groups, working and raising kids and all the rest of it, we feel so pressed for time and so stressed out and so anxious. That's a recipe for sharp comments, too, isn't it? And so if we rehumanize people by thinking about who they are, whose they are, who they belong to, and realize that because they belong to God, they belong to us, then we can speak the hard truth and leave behind the lives that lead to letting things lie. And instead, stand together in a relationship that models what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a place where we do not leave hurts unhealed, and the kingdom of God is a place where we do not give people the opportunity to hurt themselves and others when we can prevent it. I'm not saying that we ought to police every conversation. What I am saying is this, we choose what we become as a culture, by how we deal with some of these moments that, are, that have interpersonal conflict. We, we choose who we are as a congregation by how we handle some of these moments that involve this kind of conflict. And what we do, whether we intend it or not, not only reflects our values, our true values, our underlying values, the values that we don't just wish for, but the values that we live out, we teach them to the young we teach them to the old. And so this is, this is the, the end of it and how it all comes together for me, is when I see the way Paul talks to people who only get letters when they've been in deep conflict. Paul doesn't write anybody that we have in the Bible that says, wow, I just want to tell you what a great job you're doing. Nothing more to say. I hope everything's going well. You know, Paul spills gallons of ink on how do we deal with problems in the church, and it's because it is important. And the people involved in it matter. Even though Paul could be sharp, Paul didn't go around discounting anybody. Paul always encouraged people to live into the convictions that they had been taught by Paul in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we go out from this place, here's what I hope we can carry with us. Each of us has in our hands the ability to heal and the ability to hurt. Each of us has in our lives the the accountability to live with whether we heal and whether we hurt. And, And we each live in the accountability to each other, too, with kindness and deference and respect and hopeful invitation. and Maybe in private, help people to understand when something that they said was hurtful so that the wounded don't have to carry the baggage of their wounds. Amen.